0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats and dogs. The human-animal bond is what this show is all about. Finding authors and experts to talk about cats, dogs, and the many other creatures who share our world. This is listener supported WLIW FM, Long Island's only NPR station in Southampton, serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut over the air at 88.3 and at 96.9 in Western Suffolk. This is where I originated the show and have never missed a week for 14 years. At RadioPetLady.com, there's a podcast library with more than 750 episodes, along with my other Pet Talk podcast shows. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is made possible with the support of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado, where he created a variety of litters, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats natural prey this show is also brought to you by waruva the foreman family-owned pet food company named after the rescued kitties webster rudy and vanessa where all their recipes and cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility I have some wonderful guests today, but the most amazing one is the 10-year-old who was my first guest, Roman McCann. He started Project Freedom Ride when he was a tiny little boy in a car seat and wanted to help all the animals get out of the shelter. He cried because he didn't think they should all be in there. He had a very raised consciousness young. He's still pretty young. He's 10 years old. So listen to how he has evolved as a rescuer and his new TV show, Roman to the rescue. His mother has a full-time job. She's not a Hollywood mom. She's figuring out the internet and working with Disney and navigating the whole thing while just sort of being, I think, in the same awe of her kiddo as the rest of us will be. Jennifer Brooks is here from Second Chance Rescue, a New York City foster-based rescue that is going to be part of the New York Dog Film Festival when the seventh annual premieres in October in the city. And Liz Marshall will be here. She directed the documentary Meet the Future, and it's a very interesting documentary about an alternative source, a non animal based way to get some meat into ourselves without harming the planet. Have a listen. Well, I just got to tell you, this is the most amazing guest I've had in as long as I can remember. I haven't really interviewed any 10-year-olds, but a 10-year-old who at age five started his own dog rescue called Project Freedom Ride, obviously has some very supportive parents. Roman McConn started Project Freedom Ride in Georgia, and they are well over 4,000 dogs. We started
1: Project Freedom Ride in Texas.
0: Oh, you started in Texas, and now you live in Georgia, and that's why you draw... Actually,
1: we started in Washington. I probably should... We started Project Freedom Ride in Washington.
0: This is what I love about a 10-year-old. I've never had an adult say to me, wait, let me correct you about that. But you're right, you know? It's who you are. You're like, no. Washington's where it started. Does that explain why one of the places that you adopt dogs out to is British Columbia, because it was near Washington?
1: Well, that and they also, they were, they also, um, can take, they also take pit bulls and stuff. Oh. And they'll take, like, they'll take some of the bigger dogs that some other rescues won't. Nice. And also, it's just another area we can send the dogs to, so.
0: Well, it's good that you do that because so many people are sending dogs from the south. Now, your dogs come from Texas and Georgia, but they're sending them to the northeast. I live in Vermont, so they send them to New York, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont. It's great that you have other places you're sending them because too many dogs need a home in Texas and Georgia and not enough dogs available for adoption in the northeast and I guess in British Columbia. But talk about what it was like half your lifetime ago. You were five years old. Did did you like go to a shelter as part of a school project? When did you get bitten by this bug of rescue?
1: So that's kind of it's gonna be quite a funny story. Good. So it we originally started like actually rescuing dogs when I was four. <laughs> we were so you're gonna laugh. We I just were did. just going yeah, we were just going to pet to get something for our dog. Right. Dog, I should say, had only one dog at the time, and then we saw all these dogs in crates up at the up at the front. And I asked my parents, "Why are all the dogs here and not in the and not in their homes?" Right. And my parents said, "Because PetSmart is a very good public place, and they are trying to do an adoption event because all these dogs will have to go to heaven otherwise." If they can't get, if they can't get them adopted.
0: So there you are, four years old thinking, wait a minute, let me, let me see what I can do about this. Is that right? This is, this is the thought you had. Okay. Can I just say that I'm sure everyone who's ever met you or ever talked to you and you've been talked to by a lot of famous people and famous TV shows and stuff. They're all wondering how soon will be will you be running like a major corporation or a major nonprofit that's going to you know save the world? You do, you're kind of unstoppable because you didn't just have this idea; you motivated all the grownups around you to make it a very a very solid reality. It wasn't just a cute little kid's idea. You're like, no, no, I want to find homes for these dogs, and and I'll go make videos. And that's what you did, right? You took videos yourself as a little guy. Well, my mom was there to take them. Good.
1: I wasn't there. I couldn't take them myself. I didn't even know how to post them on social media.
0: <laughs> so my, my good, good. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. Your mom is the is a wonderful. You're clearly the engine, and your and your mother is the wheels, or whatever you want to say about it. But you did motivate well, her. My
1: mom is more the engine and the wheels. She does she does almost everything for Project Freedom Ride. I just make the videos and and and, am the face of it.
0: Well, you know what? I think it's very cool that you're that honest about it because you go to school full time like a regular kid. You play soccer. You do jujitsu and play, you know, I'm sure video games and other stuff. We don't really want a 10-year-old to be spending his every waking hour fretting about, you know, the dog in, in cage number seven who didn't get a home yet. That wouldn't be healthy, would it? I mean, it's great that you have this passion, but even better that you've gotten grownups around you to sort of take the, take the, uh, the, the stick and run with it like the baton in a relay race. That's, that's what it sort of looks like to me. So here's where I saw you myself, and I got blown away by you. Uh, And I'm not the only one. So Cradle, the CBD company that makes CBD calming things for dogs, uh, which one of my dogs desperately needs and it it works. And I'm so thrilled. They became a sponsor of this show. And in me doing some research about them to learn, you know, was it a really great company? Was I going to want to support what they were doing? Was a clip of the world's cutest little boy. I'm sorry to call you little because, you know, you're 10 is kind of it's little. All right. Where I'm sitting, it's little. But you're a very grown-up 10-year-old. You're on The mm-hmm. Ellen Show. You're being interviewed about Project Freedom Ride. You're so adorable. I think you kind of blew her away. She was like, wow, he's like better at this than I am. That's how I That's how I took it. And they hand you this $10,000 check from Cradle via Ellen for Project Freedom Ride. Was it really a surprise or did they warn you ahead of time?
1: That was really a surprise, and it was also really awesome because then that can go to whatever it needs to go
0: to. Right, in your work, in this nonprofit work of rescue. I mean, it's it's pretty fabulous. So when was the moment when the world said, hey, Roman's going to be a star, and Disney and Hulu have made you a star? When did that happen?
1: So, um... So we've, I've been on the dodo a couple of times by just really doing what I do. Right. And then, um, one day we just had gotten home from school. I was just sitting watching TV and then my mom gets a call from some people from the dodo and I'm just continuing to watch TV. Don't even realize what's going on. Right. And then I come into the living room, and or into the kitchen, I was like, hey, Mom, what was that? And she's like, hey, Roman, the dodo just basically acted like an agent for you <laughs> and pitched you to, the, to Disney. Wow. And now you'll have your own Disney show.
0: Oh, my goodness. The dodo did that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, isn't it interesting you don't have... Those kind of parents who schlepped you out to Hollywood. I, I don't know. You're 10 years old. I'm talking to you like you're my age. But, you know, there's these parents that drag their kids out to Hollywood and kind of work it and work it and work it to turn them into a star and make them all cute and adorable. And the world has come to you. You guys didn't have to like fake it till you made it. You made it and then the world came to you. Do you know what that phrase, fake it till you make it, means? Yeah, it's
1: like you have to kind of put on a big show just to get
0: it. Yes. And instead, you just were, like you said, being yourself, doing your thing, caring about what you care about. And I just think it's a great lesson to the universe that if you just genuinely believe in something and have passion, and obviously the energy that any 10-year-old has, and then a mother with the same amount of energy, you can change the world not to become famous or rich or powerful but just because goodness got recognized. I'm sure you're too young to realize how rare that is. It's just rare. It's wonderful. So talk about doing the Disney show. That was a very big change for you.
1: So obviously that wasn't something I'm really used to. So (laughs) that was definitely, it's quite an experience that's, that's one of a kind. Yes. Um, i it was really awesome. I loved getting to work with a bunch of different people. It definitely was a good platform for Project Freedom Ride, which is my organization because then we, it kind of let everyone it kind of got us on another platform so we could show the work so we could show the whole country. Yes. Like, hey, this is what we do. Like More support is always great for Project Freedom Ride because, yeah. Well, I'm going to start watching
0: it on Hulu. I didn't know it was on Hulu. I don't have the Disney channel that it's on, but I have Hulu. So I can't wait to watch it. And I saw the clip on the website of Project Freedom Ride. And anybody who doesn't (laughs) believe that, that Roman McCann is a real person, he's a real amazing person without any fakeness to him at all. I have to tell you, I thought, well, I don't know, maybe it's like a child actor, but you're not. You're like a human child with so much energy f- for all the right things. I think it's, I th- really do think you're very unusual. Nothing's gone to your head. I just, I dread seeing you on a red carpet. No offense to the red carpet, but I just, I don't want to see you ruined by fame. And I just hope that never happens. I have a feeling that your parents and you will keep your feet on the ground, but it's yeah. a, it's a wonderful clip. It, the idea of the show is the idea that you are connecting adoptable pets with other children and you're personally like the Santa Claus of finding them the right dog. Is that the idea of the show?
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: So how do they pick those kids where well, you don't know? They just present you with kids and you have dogs that you know because you know the dogs that Project Freedom Ride is working with. Did you, you obviously couldn't so, pick the kids?
1: So yes, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't pick the kids, but some of the Texas rescues and some of the people with. Oh, oh, I can't talk about
0: that. Oh, you can't talk about that. Okay, that's so cute. Yeah. That's her. His mom in the background saying what he can't talk oh. about. Okay. So I didn't, I I don't know why you can't talk about it, but it doesn't matter. What's important is that it's very adorable that there's this kid making these phone calls or Instagram videos, Zooms or what have you to kids that are dying to get a dog. And the Disney channel, I guess, organized ahead of time. Obviously they got permission to have a dog. You didn't just surprise them out of the blue and you make this Mm -hmm. match. And It must feel so incredible to you that it's going to a child. I mean, you know that all these dogs got over 44,000 dogs have gotten homes. But did it feel different to you that it was going to kids that were dying for a dog? Yeah, it was really awesome to know that they
1: were going to a home with a kid because I know that those dogs would do great with a kid. Yes. So it's just even more awesome to know that they're going to a family with a kid.
0: Because you know the kid's going to get such a a thrill out of it, and obviously the dog is too. I just want to mention some of the things um, that are on the website of Project Freedom Ride that I think are really impressive. One is you have this very fancy, gorgeous van that's wrapped with all your logo and photos of dogs, and it says Project Freedom Ride. And twice a month, those vans have 20 to 35 dogs in them that go to either British Columbia or northern U.S., to shelters that already are expecting them. That's a lot of organizing. Is that done by your mother with your three partner shelters? We have more than three partner. partners. Oh. Well,
1: we have three Texas rescue partners Got now, it. But they're, yeah, they're who coordinate most of everything.
0: It's, it's pretty impressive that you know how the whole thing works. And yet, luckily, they haven't made you into a, you know, a, a slave to being on a computer and figuring out yourself that that wouldn't be a good use of your time. As you say, you're better being the face of it, the energy of it, the, the joy of it all. I think it's really terrific. Yeah. Who, who, what dogs live in your house now?
1: Um, I have four of my own dogs. And currently, I have three fosters, but they leave to, they leave tomorrow evening.
0: Do you mean to tell me you have four of your own personally owned dogs and you take in fosters? Yes.
2: Wow. My dad
1: does transporting now for the, for Project Freedom Ride. So the, so fostering is going to have to slow down a lot, but it's, it's, if we need, if it's like an absolute emergency and we need to foster,
0: we will. Oh my god, you're so adorable! You mean your dad's been doing the fostering, but now he's going to be the van driver. He's going to take over the transport.
1: Yeah, he's going to be one of our two van drivers. Got
0: it. Two fancy vans. Well, I just think so it's... we have we have one van, but there's two drivers for the one van. Oh, I I love this. You're so specific. I'm telling you, you're going to run a major corporation one day. Roman McConnell. This is great. I just want to say, in addition, that I am completely going to lobby for a movie about Roman to be in the New York Dog Film Festival for 2023 in the seventh annual. You need to be in the film festival. You are a, st- a shining star in the world of dogs and in other ways, too. But we're going to work on somehow working with Disney or Hulu or somebody not to put the TV show on, but a but a film, you know, a biography of Roman. I think it would be wonderful. And I'm sure your mom has lots of video clips from when you were four and five and all the way to 10, which is what you are now. It's been a complete <laughs> delight to meet you. It's very uplifting and exciting to learn that a young person can change the world the way you have. So you just keep on doing that and make sure you stay true to who you are, too, because you are a most genuine person, and I really admire that. Thank you for being here, Roman. Thank you for having me. This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and to the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. This show is also supported by Cradle, calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. I am so happy to welcome Jennifer Brooks to the show. She founded Second Chance Rescue. It's a New York City foster-based rescue, and I learned about it because she was one of several shelters that Subaru invited to hang out with dogs for adoption at their booth at the Auto Show at the Javits Center in New York City. Jennifer, you're amazing. Not only did you create this foster-based rescue, which to me is such a huge job to find fosters and the dogs and organize it and then adopt them out, but you're a full-time school teacher. How do you do this?
3: Well, it's uh, very busy. Thank you so much for having us today, Tracy. We're so happy to be here um, and discuss our rescue, which I started in 2009.
0: Wow, you are uh, a veteran.
3: (laughs) Yes, I have been doing it for many years. And um, about three years ago, we were fortunate enough to actually open up our own rescue center. Um, So we were primarily foster based up until 2018. And now we have a rescue center in Westchester County, uh, which houses about 25 dogs um, at any given time.
0: And you still have fosters as well. Oh,
3: absolutely. Um, our fosters are the backbone of our rescue. And we have about, I would say about 120 animals currently in foster care.
0: Oh, my God. I can't, you know, I can't even imagine how hard work it is to be a teacher. Okay, A. what? What? What, <laughs> what grade do you teach, by the way?
3: So I teach junior high school. I teach seventh and eighth grade U.S. history.
0: Wow. Okay, so you got to organize those humans, those teenage humans, which already is like a baffling thought to me. But you have to find 120 people that you personally have had to talk to, encourage, ask, and then vet them out to take in Mm -hmm. unknown dogs into their home where they probably already have some dog or dogs and keep care of them, and keep notes on them, and be available to potential adopters who want to come visit them or call them and annoy probably the heck out of them half the time with a million little questions. And you have to keep everybody happy. How do you do that? I, I, I couldn't even have two fosters. They would both get on my nerves. You have 120. How do you do it? Where do you find these angel people? (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just me. I have an amazing team behind me of foster coordinators, adoption coordinators, foster counselors, um, processors, transporters, wow. writers. So, <laughs> yeah. This yeah. sounds
0: a lot, though, like running a small corporation. And by the way, nonprofit and nobody's paid. So, but I mean, is this, do you think this... <laughs> You probably are humble, obviously. I'm going to guess you're humble. You're so cute. You laugh as though it's just, oh, no big deal when it's such a big deal. But do you think that you are the light underneath this bush? I mean, are you the one who has made all these people inspired to give so much of their time and energy to do something that's so daunting? (laughs)
3: <laughs> yes um, I definitely lead and I am very hands on myself so most of the time you'll find me either transporting an animal fostering an animal in my home um, so I definitely don't just talk the talk I also walk the walk and I believe that really inspires others to do the same um, we have an amazing volunteer base and um um, I would say, probably about four to five years ago, um our organization grew to a place where we were able to provide uh some staff. you know we have some staff now oh good,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> good because you can't expect volunteers to do everything. It would be absurd, I mean a hundred percent it would i yeah. mean especially yeah. you now have a physical facility. God knows how you raise that additional money. But you have to have people who are paid to look after the dogs and clean up, kennel assistance. I mean, these are not jobs that people do for fun. This is a job (laughs) that for some people is a good profession. It suits them, right? Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And we have amazing people. And, you know, they're so dedicated to the animals. And, you know, we're so grateful for our team, you know, who really is able to keep us running on a daily basis. You know,
0: Where do the animals providing. come from?
3: Oh, <laughs> they <laughs> come from all over the world. Um, you know, I don't discriminate on location when an animal is in need or is you know has a medical emergency and we need to step in and save them. Uh, we have dogs, so I would say a lot of our dogs do come from the southern part of the United States, um, Texas. We also rescue as far as California. Um, Then we rescue from Mexico, the Bahamas, Puerto Rico, um, Nepal, the
0: Middle East. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I must put you in touch with – there's a a group, and I said to them, listen, just forget it. The rabies rules in America are here for a good reason. But she has – she is in the Middle East and is trying to save Canaan dogs where apparently there's a Uh fatwa against them and they just want to kill them all. So I'll put her in touch with you. Yes, please do. I will. I mean, I thought I was just going to, she said, can't you do something on Dog Talk and Kitties too to change people, to change the rules? We're not going to change the rabies rules, right, Jennifer? I mean, we don't want to. We want dogs to be fully, fully vaccinated. But I guess, how do you bring them in from the Middle East if these are countries that have rabies in the culture?
3: So, um, up until the CDC changed the laws last year, um, we were able to bring them right here to New York City, to the United States. Right. Uh, the CDC changed the laws last year uh, for reasons that we that's a whole other segment.
0: Um, right. We could have a separate conversation because I assumed it was all good. Now, I'm wondering, yes. but you but well, we could have a separate conversation. Uh, I mean, another interview about it because you're obviously very knowledgeable. Nepal, oh my god, so go ahead, tell yes. us.
3: Um, so what we do now is we have partners in Canada, we have an amazing partner oh. in Canada, and um, Nicole helps you know, if I call on her and um, the animals they get wonderful homes in Canada. And, um, that's how we work it. you know, we'll, we'll cover the transport, we'll work with the organization in the Middle East. And then, um, Nicole takes the animal and she finds an amazing home for it.
0: My God, this is really quite daunting. I thought you were, you know, taking, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you do take some dogs that, that people have abandoned or that they desperately can't keep, or maybe from the, the city shelters, But you're drawing from many different states and countries. Why Nepal? What's the story with dogs from (laughs) Nepal? This is the first I've heard about Nepalese (laughs) dogs needing a home in America.
3: Oh, yeah. So I was contacted by a wonderful woman in Germany, Daniela Dress, and she runs an organization called Don't Panic, Polly Dogs. And she said, listen, you know, we need homes for these guys. We will cover the transport. And
0: we formed a relationship. And um, yeah. yeah. That's just totally amazing. So while you are (laughs) this sort of beacon of light here, there apparently are beacons all over the world. And once you connect with each other, you're like, yeah, we've got room for that. And and you all have, whether they're in Germany or in Nepal Mm -hmm. or in the Middle East, there are people willing to volunteer their time and give their money one dog at a time. To get these dogs a good home. I'm always amazed by that because I don't think people are that kind or generous to other people. Do you think I'm wrong about that? I I see this extraordinary generosity towards Mm -hmm. abused and abandoned animals, and it's great. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not feeling like it's there uh, for other people of other cultures or even people in our own culture. Do you get that sense that this is one of the few places people are all about goodness and kindness? I do.
3: Um, I believe that the internet and social media has been able to bring every animal lover together yes. and people who are super passionate about this cause. And they have been able to connect us. And it's an entire community that we have of animal loving people and people who want to save and people who want to donate. And really, the social media has really connected all of us together. And, you know, it's amazing what we can do
0: together. It's a great point because, you know, social media at some point gets the stigma for creating, you know, fomenting discord and and. bad feelings, but it's an incredible connector. I mean, when I think of Subaru was able to find Mm -hmm. you and several Mm -hmm. other rescue groups who are going to come on the show um, periodically because I was thrilled to learn about them as I was about your second chance rescue and Mm -hmm. both bring you guys to the Javits center to their booth at the auto show, which is quite, quite a long, I thought the auto show was like Mm -hmm. for a weekend, like, pickleball tournaments or dog shows, but it's much longer than that. And you actually have, I, I, I just am amazed, You've, were, you were—you had to coordinate many, many dogs at many different times of the day to be brought into the Javits Center, where I don't barely go because there's nowhere to park. It's the hardest place to do anything in New York City. And you had organized all these people to bring dogs that were there for adop- to be there for adoption. Was that not mind boggling, like even to tell them where to park? (laughs) I mean, the little things, you know.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it was a big effort on our part to coordinate the volunteers, to coordinate the transports and the fosters and to get the dogs there um, and to have the handlers at the event. So it does take a lot of coordination behind the scenes to pull something like that off. Um, but our people, our team members are just amazing
0: and they pull it off effortlessly. Um, and they don't whine yeah. and complain and moan and groan. They're like, sure, I can take Lucy and Lacey. I'll put them each on a leash and I will get them to the booth. I mean, how do you even get them up the escalator? I mean, these are the sort of things that would worry me, right? This dog, this Um, comes from God knows what background. Dog came from Nepal and now I've got to mm -hmm. take him on an escalator. I know you don't really take the dogs on the escalator, but even the elevator, I can't take my dog to the Honda dealer Or the Subaru dealer because there's an electric door that opens, and she's terrified, and I raised her in America. So I just am totally so blown away and impressed by what you've done. And and I must say also to Subaru's credit, come on, it's an auto show, right? So they could just be selling cars, which is the business they're in. And, of course, they've identified themselves as the pet-loving company, and certainly the dog-loving company, and they have all those great ads with the adorable Golden Retrievers in it, but to go to the trouble of finding you groups and organizing with you and making space in the booth and having a lot of, I don't know, organic cleaner and and a paper towel, (laughs) well, you know, the things that ordinarily you wouldn't think about if you're trying to sell the new model of a Subaru. I just think all of it it comes from a place of goodness and kindness and Let's get each dog a home and each of them matters as much as selling a vehicle kind of thing, right? I mean, put Absolutely. the dog in this car and drive away, but more, but first yeah. take the dog. I think it's, <laughs> it's really fantastic. I'm very excited to meet you because I can't wait. To be able to go back yeah. to this gal who has this wonderful group of, of Canaan dogs that she's so concerned oh. about the the, oh. the mandate in the and I had in the Middle East to kill these dogs and mm-hmm. Canaan dogs are really mm-hmm. cool. I knew someone who had one from Israel and they're marvelous yeah. street dogs. I mean, they're all originally kind of a street dog, but they're now called a breed. But yeah. wow, isn't this amazing? And and a Nepalese mm. dog. Well, obviously, people have to go on the Second Chance Rescue website and see who you have looking for a home. I'll put a link to it, but just say it out loud anyway, what the name of the website is. Sure. Yeah,
3: it's nycsecondchancerescue.org. That's,
0: that's pretty that's pretty straightforward. NYC Second Chance Rescue. Jennifer Brooks is in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. Brooklyn. And when she's not herding uh, a lot of teenagers, she's bringing <laughs> dogs in <laughs> from all over the world. And I guess we could put a, a, a shout out if anybody wants to join in your efforts. You already have a lot of people, but it seems like I wouldn't be burdening you to say to people, if you have the desire to be part of obviously a thriving, really successful rescue and feel like you're all Mm -hmm. doing good each day, I suppose you wouldn't mind a few more joining you, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. We always need good volunteers who are passionate about the animals to join our team. And um, there's always something to do, walking dogs, transporting, doing events around New York City. There's a lot of opportunities for volunteers.
0: All right, so we're going to have to talk at some point about the New York Dog Film Festival, which will have its seventh annual premiere in New York City in October. Mm-hmm. It'd be really fun if Subaru was going to be part of it, but we definitely want Second Chance Rescue New York City to be part of it. So you and I will talk, and uh, who knows if the Village East by Angelica mm-hmm. will will allow us to have dogs in the lobby, but it will be much easier than getting them into the Jacob Javits Center for the auto show, that's for sure. <laughs> Jennifer, thanks for all that you're doing, but but mostly also oh. the hundreds and hundreds of people you've inspired and given a, a way to do something good for animals. I mean, you've given them a, a different meaning in their life than they had before. I, we, we forget oh. that, that doing rescue Absolutely. is really very emotionally healthy and healing and yeah. positive for yeah. people so Absolutely. there's a wonderful place you guys can do it right in new york city or in westchester and maybe even mm-hmm. there's a paying job if if that's on your horizon so i, I hope you'll yeah. all go to nyc and see who needs a new home and what good you can do with jennifer and her wonderful team thanks for being here jennifer Thank you so much, Tracy, for having us. We loved it. Thank you. This show is supported by Earth Animal, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creating holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. This show is also sponsored by the two women who privately own Evermore Pet Food, where they cook dog food from human edible ingredients shipped in frozen pouches directly to people's doors. A woman documentarian who has made not just one really cool movie, a brand new movie called Meet the Future, as in meat, flesh, meat, but also made a number of other really interesting films. So I feel very lucky to be in the pet space where the whole idea of what pets eat and how we treat animals lets me meet a woman like Liz Marshall. Liz, welcome to the show and congratulations on your newest of many accomplishments, a movie, Meet the Future, about how to stop uh, killing animals in order to feed our animals and ourselves. It's it's a very big undertaking, and I, I think you've made a wonderful film. Oh, I really appreciate that so much, and it's good to talk to you. One of my questions when I see a documentary is, what was the driving personal reason for this filmmaker to make it? Because documentaries, as I don't have to tell you, because you're a multi-awarded documentarian who has not become rich and famous making documentaries, because that's a contradiction in terms. What is the thing that drove this person to spend at least a couple of years of their life and raise a lot of money to make this story? And uh, my first question to you is, since it's about the the making, one particular company only, the making of, if you will, synthetic meat, but that looks and, and has a texture like what we think of as real meat. Are you a vegan? Are you a vegetarian? What was your, or is it just you're an animal lover or you're concerned about the planet or all of the above? Uh,
2: all of the above. And my motivation stems back to um 2016 when i was actively seeking um a solution focused story that was character driven because i like to follow a person or people i see um, you know as a as a entry point to explore big ideas and and moral questions um, and when I was introduced to Dr. Uma Valetti, uh the, you know, the co-founder and the CEO of a very small startup company called Memphis Meats at the time, um, I felt certain that there was a film. And, you know, that's that's a really great explanation,
0: because to so those of us who love documentaries and I certainly feature documentaries on the show as much as I can. And I adore them personally. I love learning and I love being exposed to an entire universe that a filmmaker has immersed themselves in in order to immerse me in it. The idea that you pick a human who drives the story so you aren't just blah, blah, blying and sort of being on a soapbox or having a point of view or trying to get across a message – but you're telling somebody's life story that does all of those things without the blah, blah, because exactly right because you're following that person. And he he was a wonderful subject for the film. So that explains to me why you didn't do a more far reaching and, and therefore more kind of commercial ish kind of documentary in which you could have looked at various alternative meat companies. Right. I mean, you you didn't unless Memphis Meat paid you to do this, which I highly doubt. That would not have been the way you would have gone about it, ethically, morally, or even financially. It's an interesting look at one company doing it. When you were looking for that subject, did you look at some of the other alternative meat companies and and pick this one because of this gentleman?
2: Yeah, so I knew that plant-based meat, um, you know, veganism, um, it was being covered in is always been covered in other documentaries um but no one was covering this story at the time and in fact uh, my film meet the future um, is the world's only uh, feature-length documentary about the birth of this industry so this is referred to as cultivated meat and it's the innovation of real meat from stem cells from a, a biopsy from a healthy animal. So without the need to, uh, you know, breed, raise, and slaughter billions of animals every year, um, <clears throat> it's a food innovation. It's a food science, um, if you will, um, that has basically, um, you know, it's one of the biggest ideas of, of the last century because, if this can truly get off the ground and be scalable and available on um, masse in a way that's accessible and, and that is uh, affordable, um, then it could solve some of the biggest issues uh, facing our planet, animals, and humans. Definitely, so, yes. The light, yeah. the The light went off for me. The light bulb went off for me when I started learning about this early on in 2016, and I took a big risk and started making this documentary back then. You know, so fast forward to where we are today, it was exactly six years ago that we started following this story. And it's really, it chronicles um, in, a, in a chronological sense, uh, the the rise and acceleration of one startup company um, as an entry point um, that represents the birth of an industry at large. You, you say that
0: very well and and it brings up a really important point. You took a gigantic leap of faith and a huge risk because that Memphis mm-hmm. meets could have been one of, I'm sure many others have fallen by the the wayside and failed. Not because their idea was not good or their technology wasn't good, but the timing, the money, the individuals involved, the bad luck with a batch of something. I mean, it's so risky, the entire undertaking, both for this this man to have had this vision and had two or three close compatriots who also gave up lucrative and impressive careers to do this instead and, and throw a dice. And you, too, as a filmmaker, you could have invested – a year or two of your life, and had to kind of tell a different ending to the story, which wouldn't really have been as satisfying to you. He was a doctor, I mean, a a really quite extraordinary medical doctor who had the same kind of feeling you did, I need to do something. Was that part of what made his story incredible? He wasn't a money guy or a nerdy scientist, you know, in a lab. He was incredibly successful man in the medical field.
2: Yes, yeah, so I was drawn to his, him as a person and his story and what motivates him and why he was risking everything um to try to get this big novel and abstract idea off the ground. Um and that I thought would make a really interesting story and an important one um for people to look back on in history. It yes. is the, the film is like a historic you know, document in a sense, um, because it really is the genesis phase of something that could truly change the paradigm that could truly be part of the transformation that is underway, um, to, you know, get us off of industrial animal agriculture, which is wreaking havoc. So, um, I think you know Uma Valetti um, is, is an interesting person. He was born and raised uh, in South India and had a dream to become uh, a Mayo Clinic-trained cardiologist. Yes. And he made that he made that dream come true, and he became a successful cardiologist in America. But then in 2015, he took a very risky, passion-driven career turn and became you know, uh, an entrepreneur and co-founded Memphis Meats. Now Memphis Meats, the startup, was rebranded uh, just over a year ago as Upside Foods. And by all indicators, it seems that their product, um, which will be chicken, cultivated chicken, that it will be on the market uh, available to consumers, Uh, pending, you know, uh, regulatory approval um, by the end of this calendar year.
0: It's kind of amazing, and I I guess what's what's really great is, or funny or ironic or bittersweet, is that they have to get regulatory approval that this is a safe food. Meanwhile, how unsafe is the chicken we're all eating? People are terrified by bringing chicken in their kitchen. I mean, everyone's like, you know— spraying bleach and wearing gloves and washing their hands three times. It's just a funny irony because this this Memphis meat, which has now been rebranded, is made in such a sterile clinical condition that it seems highly unlikely that it could ever make anybody sick. But what's interesting also in the film is that quite a few foodies are involved it isn't just to make edible meat that, okay, if you put enough sauce on it and cover it up with enough other things, I guess you could you could squeak by with it. it there's all these chef people in the film making it taste tec- – finding a way to make it taste and have the texture that will be delicious for people. And I think that's an important yeah. part of it too. You don't have to suffer something unpleasant in your mouth or, what, or different than what you're used to. Let's put it that way. Lots of vegetarians and vegans find it unpleasant to put flesh products in their mouth. But to have something that could be used by a high-end chef anywhere in the world, I mean, that's that's that was like a whole nother hoop for them to jump through, wasn't it?
2: Big, yes, yes, absolutely. So that's a big part of their innovation um, is to create, um, is to build a product that is, uh, that resembles the the experience of eating meat that meat eaters love. And, you know, the vast majority of the world, um, you know, is still um, consuming meat, um, if not daily, um, at least a few times a week. So, you know, the statistics um, also indicate that, um, you know, by 2050, that meat consumption is expected to double. As um, you know, as as a ma- that's a major problem. So w- the current uh, method of bringing meat to the table is entirely unsustainable, and so this food innovation is a uh, is part of the answer for the change and the solutions that are needed um, for planetary health, for um, you know humane. Uh, you know our treatment of animals is appalling, and also for uh, public health, uh, there's you know zoonotic disease, um, which COVID-19 is a is a form of zoonosis. Um, it is it's a major threat to um, you know health uh, security. Um, so you know this could prevent another um, global health pandemic in the future. That's,
0: that's all true. But in watching the film, which I want to encourage people to do, it there's no soapbox involved at all. It's really a little engine that could. It's this one man and a couple of friends and they're kind of in a bare bones room. And we watch them, as you say, it's chronological, get to a slightly larger office and then, oh, wow, they unpack the boxes and now there's a bigger office and then there's a lab room and you see them grow these growing pains that are both thrilling but also still worrisome because they, they, they keep going towards this goal. And at one point, he has a, a white sort of a, a chalkboard and says, okay, right now, this delicious meat that we just made, I forget the number. I'm not good at numbers. It was like 500 five hundred thousand dollars a pound or something compared to the amount of money they'd put into it. And the goal was mm-hmm. to make it affordable eventually, to find a way to scale it and make it so that it could be affordable or, you know, about the same price as what people were used to paying, which is a whole nother challenge. It just to me the the film is is that that kind of underdog with a dream and he had a devoted wife who obviously was on this journey with him. I'm like, oh boy, are we going to crash and burn? But she supported his vision. And I guess in a sense, it's a historic document that people can look back on the way if there were films made about great pioneers in any kind of field, the family, everybody, had to chip in and take the risk and have sleepless nights and get, get ulcers and not know what the outcome would be. And your film really celebrates this determination, even knowing that the odds were in some way against them. It was just, if this vision didn't work, I'm sure he would have come up with another vision. But he made this one work, and he had a team of people with equal passion. But they weren't sort of TiVo-wearing, you know, know, latter-day hippies. They were just people with a conscience and a social conscience, and they gave up – a a more mainstream successful life to try something that was a risk and worth it to them. And I think that's very inspiring. I think it's part of what makes the film really meaningful is that you can dream something that could be good for the whole world and... And find other people to help you find it. And other companies have, are finding it, too, in their own different ways, often with millions of dollars of venture capital money from the get-go, which doesn't make as interesting a story. You found the interesting story in his
2: story, I think. Oh, thank you so much. It, You know, I feel like you really get the essence of the story. And that's exactly it. Um, it's about... A big, huge idea. Um, it's not a David and Goliath story because the irony and the twists and turns um, is that the meat industry itself ends up investing in this teeny tiny startup company. That's right. Early That's on, right. And suddenly they're in this whole new ball game. And so I just would like to say to your listeners that today. Um, there are roughly a hundred startups, um, globally, uh, working on, you know, cultivated meat, fish and seafood. And so this is an industry whose time has come and it's, it's, it's really, um, just a matter of when. It's not a matter of, you know, whether or not it will happen or not. Right. It's which one gets to the finish line first, or maybe there
0: are several, and how tasty they are. Liz, we've run out of time. I'd wanted to talk about your documentary about you growing up on a utopian commune in in Canada and the amazing films you made about that. Well, another time, because you've obviously led a wonderful life and had a very astute eye watching it as you went along. And I think you bring a great story to all of us in this film. And, we all owe you a debt because we are all going to change our ways eventually, whether we like it or not. And this gives us a way to really like it and feel good about it. Thank you so much for making Meet the Future.
2: Well, Meet the Future is available on Apple TV. It's available on other platforms as well in the US. People should really go to our website, meetthefuture.com, M-E-A-T, meetthefuture.com. And, and see it there. Watch.
0: Excellent. Thank yeah, you, click- Liz. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.